Welcome to BDO Talks Arissa, a monthly podcast recorded live at BDO. Each month, we'll be talking best practices around all things Arissa, how to avoid common compliance issues, how to navigate the tricky ins and outs of Arissa's fiduciary provisions, and discussing our own experiences working for BDO's Arissa Services Group and the insights we share through the Arissa Center of Excellence. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. to another podcast for BDO Talks Arissa. I'm Beth Garner, National Practice Leader for our Employee Benefit Plan Audit Group and a partner here at BDO. You know, we're excited to have you with us today. We've said before, this podcast is an extension of our BDO Arissa Center of Excellence. We developed the podcast to expand on topics and issues that we bring to you through our social media postings on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and of course, our quarterly ERISA Roundup. The goal of our Center of Excellence is to truly help you know, any plan sponsor and anyone charged with governance of their retirement plan with up-to-date information on what's going on in the industry. We, of course, know that, know that uh, plan sponsors and HR professionals wear many hats within their organization, and our Center of Excellence can be a place to quickly get up-to-date information to help them with their responsibilities. So that's a dig for, obviously, our podcast and all of our thought leadership. You know, today we have a topic that seems to be relevant, especially if a company is in acquisition mode. And many times it could be overlooked and, and could cost serious money. Um, it's human resources due diligence. Joining me on the podcast today is my co-host, Joanne Zupka. Hello. Hey, she's a partner in our Philly office and is a very important part of our EBP team and always happy to have Joanne with us. She's my color person sometimes. Um, so, Joe, how are you holding up in the colder weather that's rolling in right now? I love the change of scenery, uh, but I hate the cold weather. <laughs> I always laugh when we're talking on the phone and the child's got a, a sweatshirt on and got her blanket in her lap, but I'm loving the cold weather. But since I'm in the Southeast, it's obviously not the same as talking about Philly weather, but Cold weather means college football, so I'm happy about that part. No comment. My team is not doing well. My <laughs> well, we'll see how mine does this week. I'll, I'll be having some stress um, over the weekend. But Liz, we get we get started on some personal topics and uh, like to talk about some personal things. But um, I want to introduce everybody to Liz Mack. Liz is a managing director in our global employer services area. Her title is workforce and transaction leader. That is a very interesting title. Um, she's going to probably explain what that kind of means in our podcast today. So, but let me share her bio before I, before she introduces herself. She's an experienced leader. Bridging the gap between finance and HR to demystify the HR aspects of mergers and acquisitions, spinoffs, and dispositions. She works with a variety of private equity and corporate clients, private and public. She has significant experience addressing HR-related due diligence and integration issues arising on transactions. She has expertise in 
people strategy, operations, workforce structure, equity, executive entitlements, global retirement, and health and welfare benefits. She spent several years working in Europe and has worked on transactions in dozens of countries around the globe. Wow. I'm not sure that um, we're worthy of your time today, Liz. <laughs> Thanks, Beth, and uh, great introduction. I'm I'm based in New York, so I'm also loving the changing of seasons. I love seeing the, the leaves change, and I'm happy to be here with you both. Thanks for having me. All right, so we, I have to just ask really quick, because I'm going to disclose something that people are probably going to send in some nasty comments. What's your feeling on pumpkin, spi pumpkin spice lattes? You know, I love everything pumpkin. I, I find I think pumpkin spice lattes are fine, but I love I love all pumpkin. So we we made pumpkin bread here uh, last weekend, and I'm enjoying that. And I bought several cans of pumpkin to creatively use uh, in the coming weeks nice. for the season. So well, y'all yeah, can I have all the pumpkin you want. Y'all can leave me off the list. <laughs> love it. I was just going to say, Beth, that I don't think you and I have ever had this conversation. I'm not a pumpkin. I like pumpkin pie, but I don't like the uh, the pumpkin coffee or any of that kind of stuff. The pumpkin no pumpkin spice. pie, no pumpkin spot, none. Well, we'll know not to stop by your house for trick or treat. Yeah, I can, no, no. I can use a pumpkin as decoration. That, that's what yes. it's there for. Yes. Always decorating. Yep. Okay. So. Yes. It's polarizing. That's a, that's a good one, ladies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's bring this back. To, I mean, we could talk decorations and fall all, all the time, but let's kind of bring this back to what Liz joined us for today, the topic of HR due diligence, right? We know the M&A market has been steady with record-breaking deals starting back in the late 2020. Um, and it's important, of course, to anticipate any obstacles in any type of deal, whether you're doing a merger, an acquisition, a divestiture. Um, but one area that de desires attention is HR due diligence. And we keep using that word and really to educate ourselves and the folks that are listening in, Liz, how would you define HR due diligence? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that question, Joanne. I, I think this is a great topic. And I I have to, um, I talk about this with people multiple times a week where, you know, there, there's just a, a lack of awareness or consistency in how the term is used. So I define due diligence as anything that's happening pre-signing of the deal. Um, and so that can take place in, in the early ideation stage and uh, when the company is just anticipating doing a deal, either selling itself as the, as the company or thinking about acquiring another company, maybe not even having a target in its sights um, through the LOI or letter of intent, which is um, a legal document that both parties sign to, to signify what they're thinking about from, a, from an intent purpose. Um, they'll do diligence and then eventually, if successful, sign a transaction. So human resources due diligence is really focused on the workforce of, of the company and, and how the company supports that workforce. And so most organizations, the people costs and the people related costs are one of the largest, largest costs an organization has, if not the largest cost. So it really makes sense to put some review around those costs um, in the in the due diligence process, given that most organizations are are people businesses, right? And if you do a transaction and all the people were to leave, you've lost a lot of value 
related to that organization. So I'll pause there. Does that does that sound make sense or, or resonate or shall we talk? We can certainly talk a little bit more about what that looks like. Oh, it definitely makes sense when you take a step back, right? For any company, even whatever you're making a product or you're giving your service, your people are your biggest asset. So it makes sense to think about it. Yeah, and, and, and even do a little bit more about more than think about it, it's analyze the, the numbers. And so COVID has thrown just such a, a monkey wrench in a, for a lot of organizations, the way they do work. And um, now when companies are thinking about buying or selling organizations, you have to think about what do, most organizations are, are um, priced based on normalized earnings and a multiple, right? So normalized earnings can be referred to as EBITDA earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortizations, um, and a multiple. And that multiple can vary depending on the, the business and the industry and the stage of gro- growth, which the business is at. And that that earnings times the multiple will often result in the purchase price. And so there's a lot of focus on that on those that earnings analysis. And, and the earnings analysis is where you normalize the earnings over the over the over the previous historical period that you're looking at. And typically that's a three-year window. And so today in you know late 2022, we're looking at the trailing 12 months of, of some period, whether that's June, July. Now we're getting a lot of like September dates or uh, the financials are coming in. Um, and you look at the trailing 12 months ending September, 2022, and then you'll look at all of 2021 and you'll look at all of 2020. Well, of course, that's like that's been heavily influenced by COVID, and so there's a lot of situations where you need to make adjustments to normalize for the COVID influence on the company and and the people related costs. Nice. I'm I'm going to use that definition, the COVID influence, because I think <laughs> everyone has felt influenced by it, positive or negative. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's true. There are some organizations that have really benefited from COVID from a uh, from a revenue standpoint. So, yes. Yeah. So in the business world, there's you know many different terms for deal making activities. You know, we've used the terms mergers, acquisitions and divestiture. You know, those are common terms. What are some other types of transactions um, in this area? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Beth. There are there are a lot of terms and they're often used interchangeably. So transactions or deals is is a good umbrella term for for any activity in this space. Mergers generally refers to two, two companies combining. Same with acquisitions, one company buying another. Um, but within that, there's there's a lot of different terms, and you could you could call them a merger of equals. For example, if you have two similarly sized companies coming together with the philosophy that we are going to choose the best of each organization and build a combined organization that that takes the best of both. Now, to be candid, I, I've rarely seen that work out um, as as advertised and planned. And so, what can happen is. Um, you communicate to your employees and everyone feels really good about this big merger of equals better together. And then in practice, there's usually most of the leadership team comes from one organization. And that organization tends to think that the way they've been doing things is the, you know, quote unquote, correct way. And therefore, right. that's the, that's the decision making ends up 
most of that path forward. And, and maybe one or two things will change, but um, then you end up having employees feeling very deflated that it wasn't a merger of equals or it wasn't best. It was really just one company acquiring the other, even though right. it might not have been super clear which one initially. So that, that that's that's a tricky one. Um, other other terms bolt on is, is another popular term, and that usually refers to the acquisition of a company, but leaving it somewhat um, standalone. And maybe that's just from like a marketing and branding perspective. So if you say company X, a sub, you know, a subsidiary of Y or, um, you know, so-and-so company, a part of this other company. And so, you know, you, you see some of these, that some of these um, company names being combined or a XYZ company, which is sponsored by LMNOP. Um, and and it may be that they're operationally standalone as well. And so sometimes you you bolt it on and it just it's it stays relatively similar to what it looked like pre-transaction, but it's now part of this bigger organization. So bolt-ons um, can mean a number of different things, but typically it means that the company retains some of it, its pre-close identity, whereas a tuck-in is something that typically that that company is being fully absorbed. And, and you could still retain, again, the brand name, which is why there's a lot of ambiguity in these titling. Um, but you often fully integrate the people, the processes, the systems, the vendors. And, and that's where you're also usually realizing more synergies. So mm-hmm. um, decreasing the additional du- duplicate vendor spend, you probably aren't going to have separate leadership teams. And so you can eliminate a lot of that, the high cost employees associated with um, with the target company. Um, yeah, divestitures and spinoffs and um, are, can all be the, the, the same along the line with disposition. So that all refers to selling a part of the company or carving out a part of the business and, and either selling it to another buyer or spinning it off to be public. Um, there's a, There are a lot of different terms and, and they are unfortunately used somewhat interchangeably, which can be definitely complicate matters and muddy the waters and uh, lead to miscommunications down, down the road. I can I can see why, right? You, you <laughs> yeah. think you hear M&A and you're like, I know what that means. And now I've just yeah. got an education on like seven new terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, it appears like as listening to you talk, right? Terminology is probably the key when it comes to this purchase agreement, when you're doing these transactions and deals, you know, you want to ensure you were talking about like kind of commingling and bringing the companies together, mm-hmm. um, that you want to make sure that it's operating, there's proper operational and administration um, after the deal closes. So like, can you share some success and failures that you've witnessed in these transactions? And then if at all possible, um, is there one industry that seems to be more successful with these transactions than another? Ooh, good question. Um, I'll have to think about the industry being more successful. We uh, deal, you know, as you as you mentioned earlier, deal activity has has kind of hit record heights ever mm-hmm. since the the late twenty twenty, all of twenty twenty one, and it's interesting twenty twenty two and the the rumors of recession have started to slow things, but I've actually kind of seen, you know, still a pretty high level of deal activity recently, despite rumors of of a slowdown and recession. And interestingly, I've had clients throughout my career say, you know, 
we don't think of recessions as as problematic for for doing deals. In fact, sometimes we we like to amp up our our deal activity because during a recession, it's almost like companies are on sale. Right. And so if you're thinking about things from a purchasing and a shopping perspective, who doesn't like a good deal? Um, so some of transactions can be a little bit recession proof. Um, but uh, so it, interestingly, um, BDO works a lot in the middle market. Um, and, and that lends itself to a pretty wide variety of sophistication within the, the companies doing these transactions and an awareness of of various issues. So um, I see the mo- I see most success when, well, from an HR perspective, of course, I'm, I'm only talking about the HR successes and, and mm-hmm. challenges and opportunities, but um, the most success is when you, we are involved early on in the process or the target, um, the target company is being reviewed by the buyer if it's a corporate and there are people focused on the human resource elements initially. So Thinking about um, executives, who gets what? Thinking about the entitlements, thinking about the the plans that you're acquiring as a as a company in in the buy side case. There's so many things to be aware of and consider. And if you are not doing that diligence work before signing, sometimes you've agreed to things in the purchase agreement that you may not have wanted to agree to. So, I'm doing a number of projects that I. I kind of jokingly refer to as like cleanup projects, but there's been such high level of deal activity over the past couple of years that now companies are are just having this, this kind of deal hangover where they've acquired companies and they haven't properly integrated them or they, they intended to properly integrate and they said, we'll do that six months or we'll do that the next one, one that comes around. And by the time that happens, people have moved on from the the transaction and they're just less focused on it. And there's other priorities and, okay, we'll just leave this as is for another year. We'll we'll merge it together next year. We'll move everyone to the same platform and payroll at this point. And it just doesn't get prioritized. Um, and, And, you know, certainly the talent shortage in the world doesn't help either, because if you have a lean team, it's hard to ask them to do more and to do special projects and um, and take on more responsibilities when they're already feeling stretched. And so a lot of this stuff has gotten punted. Um, and so I've seen, you know, a number of cases where you just have legacy 401k plans and now you have a, a company running for 401k plans instead of a single 401k plan, which um, in, in the compliance world can start to become challenging 401k plans in particular, you have the year of the the calendar year of the transaction and the following calendar year are, are what's considered under the transitional rule. And after that, you need to harm you need to aggregate all of these individuals and plans for the purposes of non-discrimination testing. So if you have four different plans with four different benefits, now you may be in danger of, of failing non-discrimination testing, which which comes with its a variety of That's uh, got its own challenges. Exactly. So Wherever possible, people want to avoid failing non-discrimination testing. And one of the ways to do that is to merge your plans together, have one plan with one benefit formula, especially if it's a safe harbor formula. And now you don't even need to have your 401k non-discrimination testing. Um, and so we, we've been doing a number of those projects uh, over the late summer and now in order to harmonize for 1-1-2023 so that they they won't have that discrimination testing issue in in 2023. So 
things like that where um I, I and I talk to you know these clients about in the going forward something you can agree in the purchase agreement is to terminate the 401k plan as part of the transaction. And and a lot of them say, yes, now that I know that, I will definitely do that going forward. But we didn't know that when we did these four acquisitions in rapid succession in 2020 and 2021. And so we we weren't thinking about that. And and unfortunately, there's just there's a, a lot of these items um, that pop up. And, and so one, I was reviewing, you know, just this week, a purchase agreement it's an asset purchase, and I can get into asset versus share purchase in a moment. But the asset, when you're when you're buying the assets of a company, you only get what's what's stipulated in that purchase agreement. So you have to go over it very carefully and be aware of what you're getting. Versus a stock purchase, basically you're getting everything that's exclu- that's not excluded. So you have to be very aware of of everything you're stepping into as the shoes of the employer. So um, this asset purchase agreement was stating that all employees will transfer, including those who are on vacation, on FMLA, on um, on any type of military leave and short-term disability leave. And so, of course, we flagged that because for the company that's acquiring these individuals is not going to be able to insure these um, individuals who may be on short-term disability at close. And, and we don't know, right? If these are small organizations. They have 100 people um, in the target. But, you know, it, it is it is important because we're, we're just talking about the purchase agreement now. So the deal will sign probably at the end of this month. And then they're they're looking to close in the coming months. And, and so between now and then, somebody could go out on disability. And your a buyer's insurance plan will not cover anyone who's not actively at work because yeah, that obviously is a bit of an adverse risk. If you're already out on disability, the chances of you having a long-term claim are significantly higher than someone actively at work who has a very like close to zero chance of, of going out on disability. So companies aren't going to insure that. And so unwittingly, buyer can be taking on people who um who currently have coverage, who will not have coverage going forward. And, and you know, it's this little item, but just striking that or adding um, for people not actively at work, once they return to work, they will transfer transfer to buyer, assuming they return to work within, you know, some specified. And often it's like, it's one year, but you can negotiate that. You can say two years or six months. Um, as long as they return to work within one year, they will transfer to buyer at that time. Wow. And just that, like that little statement can save a company a significant amount of administrative burden and and pain and and then financial cost, right? If that person on the again small chance, but there was someone on disability who ended up on a lifetime disability claim or got into a really serious car accident and needed to have their income replaced until essentially retirement, you could just be on the hook for a really large amount of money. Um, so think the operational things like that, that if you're not thinking about it and planning for it and, and kind of bridging that gap between between the HR elements and the purchase agreement and uh, the purchase price, you, you could just be missing. Yeah, no, it, listen, loved everything that you shared. Real world examples, how, you know, just missing a few words or not using the right words can really end up being a nightmare, a, a burden to deal yeah. with and not, you know, and it's, it's, I, there's so much stuff that goes into, right, these deals. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it's, 
it's your HR, it's your people. To you said, it, you if you buy the company and all the employees leave, well then, did what did you really get, right? You need the individuals to do the work and taking the time to make sure that you have everything correct is is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And along those lines, I mean, we all acknowledge that every one of these deals they're different. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we've experienced that in the accounting industry um with with some of the stuff we've done and we know relationships thrive or die based on open communications or failed communications. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what advice do you have here for HR when it comes to communication, you know, in your experience, what has worked well here? Yeah, so yeah, great great question, Beth. Um I think so even before HR gets to talk about communications, HR often doesn't have a seat at the table right. when these deals are happening. Yeah. So for HR on the in the communications front, uh, pounding your fist and saying, I need to see it at the table and, and figuring out how to get there is, is pretty important. And, and often it is, Joanne, to your earlier point, using the right language, mm-hmm. right? So I've, I've seen HR team members come to the table with like 100 question list of of document requests and needed information. And so suddenly their peers start um, start discounting the the seriousness or or you know the legitimacy of the HR request list because it's a hundred items long and it's it's just exhaustive. Right. And so of course you need all those items, but you don't need all of those items right up front, right? There's during diligence, you're doing that go, no go decision-making. And then once the deal signs, now you, you flip to, okay, how are we, how are we going to integrate this or what's our strategy? And so it it shouldn't be, you know, a a flip, like I I just said, um, you do that only during the post sign window, a good diligence effort starts thinking about the strategy longer term and anticipating um, the cost. And, and certainly if synergy is part of the deal thesis, then you do want to ballpark some of those synergies so you can build that into your pricing. Um, but communications is such an interesting item because it's it's this item that people or deal makers often have on their list and say, yep, yep, we're going to get to it. But then it's it's often just pushed down in the priorities. And so we often see that companies have great intentions and, and they they have these ideas like we're not terminating anyone. This is this is going to be really wonderful for everybody and increase everyone's market share and kumbaya better together, right? But then in practice, buyer doesn't communicate with target clearly enough. So now target leadership doesn't feel like they are comfortable communicating to their employees because they they don't want to say the wrong thing and have to backtrack, or they're waiting for guidance from buyer, but they're they're not necessarily asking for that guidance. And and so it's just it becomes this sort of miscommunication of um, now nobody's talking to employees who once a deal is signed, it's, it, that's a public announcement. And so there there's a big awareness that there's a transaction underway. But what does that really mean for individuals? Will they have a job? Will they Will they come to the same office? Will they go to a different office? Can they work remotely? They have so many questions. And, you know, what is what how are things going to change in the future compared to now um and, and often it doesn't the or buying buyer organization doesn't have a full view of that so the tendency is well we're still figuring it out so we'll figure it out and we'll let them know um beth i've seen i've seen really good things happen when you just are transparent with your with your target employees and you say 
listen, we don't have all the answers, but we're working on it. And we're, we're going to, we're committed to talking to you about this process. So here's the guiding principles that we're using. And you list them and you say, we're going to limit employee disruption. We're going to streamline operations. We're going, you know, whatever those goals are of the deal thesis, you share those guiding principles and you communicate and you say, we don't have all the answers. We're working on it and we'll get back to you is so, so, so much better received than just the radio silence. Because radio silence usually leads to the rumor mill of why aren't they telling us anything? Are are they going to terminate us? Maybe they don't want to terminate. They don't want to tell us they're terminating us. Maybe they don't want to tell us they're not terminating us and then have to tell us they're terminating us. You know, people can get in their, their heads about things. And especially if you have private equity, which just has historically had a little bit um more of a reputation for for cost cutting and as a result you know people feeling more fearful for their jobs and expecting layoffs might be coming um really leads to a lot more of that rumor mill if that then if you just communicate openly and honestly and say you know we don't know but our intention is everyone will have a job we will find a job for you and we will make sure that you have a place to work right so things along those lines which um, generally, buyers do have an idea of that when they're in the deal thesis, and by the time they sign the deal, they may not know all the details, but they have have kind of those those bigger picture items that they could communicate to employees. So I'll pause there. Does that does that make sense? No, that is fabulous. And I mean, we <laughs> I think the listeners have some absolute key takeaways. Seat at the table, communication's important in all of the relevant terms when it comes to all these transactions. So, Liz, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Yeah, um, Beth and, and Joe, and I, I'd love to offer to you know listeners, we're happy to take questions and um, you know, communicate with you. We, something we lo- we love to do is help HR feel more credible and be more credible in the in the deal space and and get that seat at the table. So, always happy to talk about what that looks like um, with with anyone. So, yeah, because I mean, as we said, people and culture. I mean, that is so important to company success. So, when this deal's happening, we we definitely need to pay attention to this area. Oh, absolutely. So with that, uh, Liz, we will extend that shout out. If anyone wants to send in a question, um, you know, please feel free to reach out to us at BDO Talks Arissa at BDO.com. And if you want some additional information, um, Liz did an amazing article that is on our Arissa Center of Excellence, why HR due diligence is an important step in a transaction. It's got some Eight key takeaways that we just, eight reasons to do HR due diligence expands on some of the topics that we were talking about today and also covers topics that we weren't able to get to. Yes, it's true. It's a good article. Yeah. (laughs) I say so myself. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you for your time today and thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you for listening to BDO Talks Arissa. Past episodes and information about how to join us for our next live recordings are available at bdo.com slash bdotalksarissa. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on BDO's Arissa Center of Excellence and the services we provide, visit bdo.com slash arissa.